0: Hi, I'm Elisa Yub, Director of the Fellows Program at New America. This year, we're thrilled to support 15 new Class of 2022 National Fellows as they develop their ambitious projects. Today, I'm joined by Keisha and Blaine, a Class of 2022 National Fellow. Keisha is an award-winning historian and writer. She completed a PhD in history from Princeton University and is now an Associate Professor of History at the University of Pittsburgh. She has written extensively on race, gender, and politics, and national and global perspectives. She is the author of several books that include Set the World on Fire, 400 Souls, and Until I Am Free. So congratulations on your acceptance again this year, Keisha. To start, can you tell me more about your fellowship project and what you're hoping to do with it this year?
1: Yes. I'm writing a book on human rights, essentially uh, human rights history through the ideas and experiences of Black women in the United States from 1865 to the present. And I'm looking forward to doing additional research and also writing some new chapters during the year.
0: So as you mentioned, your book project will relay a definitive history of the role of Black women in human rights struggles from the Reconstruction era onward. Why do you feel this is an important story to tell and why now?
1: In many ways, my project helps to provide a prehistory uh, to explain uh, contemporary developments. And here I'm thinking specifically about political movements such as Black Lives Matter. Uh, since 2013, uh, we have seen the crucial role that Black women have played in the movement, and even uh, thinking about uh, individuals like Patrisse Colors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi, the three Black women who founded Black Lives Matter. Uh, As a historian, what I have found interesting is in examining uh, these women's political activism, I see so many parallels to black women who I study in the 20th century. Uh, And what became clear to me uh, is that it was important to really tell a history that would make it clear how crucial black women have played uh, throughout US history uh, in shaping human rights uh, not only in the U.S. context certainly, but also globally, I wanted to uh, readers to be able to understand that uh, the the Black women who we see leading today in an array of political and social movements are building upon a rich and dynamic tradition that extends uh, all the way back. Uh, to the Reconstruction Era,
0: and so why so why is it important to tell these stories now? And why do you think it's taken so long for these stories to be shared and celebrated?
1: I think um, there are so many challenges when it comes to uh, telling historical narratives, and particularly on the mainstream level. What I found uh, throughout my work uh, is that much of the way that we tell the history tends to center on the experiences. Um, of men, and this is true, even if you're thinking about African-American history, um, many of the narratives that we encounter about the civil rights movement, for example, will center the experiences and the activism of individuals like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. And these are crucial figures and that's important. Uh, But what that means is that we're often not focusing on black women. We're not focusing on, on those who uh, were leaders. Oftentimes they were leaders uh, behind the scenes. Oftentimes uh, they were marginalized within the movements, but they played crucial roles in organizing activists. Uh, they played a key role in really uh, making sure that the work that the most visible leaders were doing, that that the work would be um, impactful. and uh, And I just think in this particular moment, it's, Uh, important to elevate these stories as much as possible, and so part of the challenge is getting people to to shift their their focus and to recognize that specifically Black women uh, have been vital to this history, uh, even though mainstream narratives often de-emphasize their roles.
0: So you mentioned you you will be including a number of key figures that you're profiling in the book and also looking at individuals abroad. So I'm curious about who you plan to focus on. Maybe tell us a little bit more about some of the individuals that you'll be researching for the book, but also how you plan to structure your narrative and what do you hope will drive it forward?
1: So one of the things that I plan to do um, is certainly to tell a chronological story. So I begin uh, in 1865, and I pull the narrative all the way to the present. That means that I'm certainly going through decades. I'm grappling with a number of uh, key historical figures. And what I've done is try to uh, find a balance between well-known individuals and lesser-known figures. So, for example, I start off uh, with the work of someone like Ida B. Wells. And and many people have heard of Ida B. Wells, the anti-lynching crusader, but oftentimes when we talk about Ida B. Wells, we think about her solely within the U.S. context. And part of what I do uh, is center her, her global activism and to show that uh, at the same moment that she was certainly denouncing acts of lynching, uh, at the same moment that she was demanding the expansion of black political rights, she was also uh, deeply invested in um, advancing human rights and thinking broadly about rights that extend far beyond um, the state, that that extend far beyond the nation state. Uh, And she was also linking uh, the experiences of African-Americans with other people of color, uh, with other marginalized groups across the globe. And so that's the perspective um, of Ida B. Wells that tends to, I think, be de-emphasized and in the mainstream narratives. And so my book will, will help people see her in a new light. Uh, And then I'll talk about someone like Pearl Sherrod, who uh, is a lesser known figure, and this is an activist from the 1930s from the city of Detroit, who I uncovered in my research, who uh, was a domestic worker, who simply got involved in several local internationalist movements and began to uh, push for civil rights, but also push for human rights. And I tell her story, I tell her efforts uh, to get this message across to other people, using newspapers, uh, to write columns uh, in order to make a case that uh, others needed to join the struggle for human rights and to think broadly beyond just the US context. And so those are just two examples. Uh, in terms of the structure, what I've been able to do is arrange it so that every single chapter of the book has a, a number of key figures who provide, who ultimately serve as anchors uh, in the project. And so each chapter will center on a a handful of um, key figures, even though there will be an array of other women uh, as supporting cast, so to speak. Uh, And what I try to do is draw connections as much as possible ideologically, whenever possible, uh, through relationships. Many of these women knew each other. And so I I tell uh, a story of their political lives as well as their personal lives. And I think taking these approaches Help to bring about a, mo- uh, a rather cohesive narrative.
0: So you must be engaging with a wide variety of sources um, in terms of the research for the book. I'm sure it includes speeches, um, historical newspapers, and also archival material. So what has been some of your favorite sources to engage with as you do this research?
1: So I love working with newspapers. And I think this is partly because I'm uh, very interested in intellectual history. And what that means is that I'm consumed uh, with figuring out what people thought. I just love grappling with ideas and and being able to trace how someone's thinking about a particular concern shifts over time. And what's great about newspapers um, is that it just provides a fascinating window uh, into um, Black women's writing, the Black women's ideas. Of course, these uh, sources are revealing. They can also be limited in the sense that I always think about the audience. I think about um, how the writer might have framed a pers- you know a particular perspective, uh, given who would encounter the piece. I think about the limitations, even when it comes to education, um, and how uh, you know certain people would would write columns, others would would not. Uh, but ultimately, I love newspapers because I, I get to capture the women's ideas and I love being able to, to quote them uh, so that I'm not simply saying that they are committed to human rights I'm able to use their their own words to make a powerful case.
0: Yeah so a lot of your past work acknowledges the role of the global African diaspora in solidifying racial justice movements and so I'm curious about how this concept informs the work of this book particularly as you ground it in the American context.
1: I think one of the challenges uh, when it comes to uh, political and social movements, uh, and, and particularly this is true for many activists, is that while you are engaged in political struggle, it's often easy to fall into the trap of thinking that the challenges that you're encountering in your local communities or the challenges that you're facing on a national level um, are somehow unique. And one of what's what's so powerful about the history is recognizing how an array of activists were always concerned about the local, certainly concerned about the national, but also thinking globally and that they recognize that racism and white supremacy uh, are, are global concerns, right? As much as they are local and national, they are global concerns. And so if you see it through that lens, it means that you have to be thinking through global strategies and solutions. So it's not simply collaborating with those who are physically around you, but also thinking transnationally, reaching out to form networks and solidarities with people in other parts of the globe in order to effectively challenge um, and dismantle the systems of, of oppression uh, that you want to see come to an end. And, and so I think with this project I'm working on, it it, it certainly uh, you know, aligns with my earlier work in thinking through uh, the Black diaspora always making sure that I'm always that I'm thinking about multiple levels of activism and that I'm not just telling a local story or a national story, but that I'm also telling a global story.
0: So you've written that the ideas and activism of black women is extremely vital to our progress as a country, uh, and especially at this time in our history. So I'm curious about why why this time and why is this moment so significant, and how do others respond to that idea?
1: This is, I think, one of the most important aspects of the project, is just how much it ties to the contemporary moment. And I think about someone like Fannie Lou Hamer from the 1960s and 70s, who always emphasized that, um, you know, as a Black woman, she would say that, you know, until I am free, you are not free either. And part of why she would say this was because uh, it it was certainly part of a larger argument that uh, if you really wanted to liberate people, you would have to address the concerns of those who are uh, at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And uh, for Black women in particular, uh, they're dealing with sexism, uh, they're dealing with racism, and oftentimes dealing with classism too, and, and other forms of oppression. And... Uh, So the idea is if you pay attention to Black women's experiences uh, and you are part of the project of liberating Black women, other Americans benefit, other people benefit in the process uh, because we're all so connected, our our faiths are connected, our experiences are are connected despite our differences. And so I think uh, in a similar vein, when we pay attention to what, what Black women have to say, we pay attention to... Um, the political strategies that they're employing, we pay attention to uh, their activism. Uh, it's it's not simply ignoring other groups. I, it's interesting. But ultimately, what, what happens is that, um, by default, other people benefit when we advance Black women's opportunities, and when we challenge racism, when we challenge white supremacy, uh, sexism, you know, and the list goes on.
0: So as you work on the book, I'm curious about who you think the audience will be for the book? I mean, you are an academic and I assume you want this to get outside of that space. So I'm curious about how you think about the audience for this book and also what do you hope readers will take away from it?
1: So I really hope that the book resonates with so many people far beyond the the realm of academia. I think it would be important for um, anyone who's been paying attention to what is taking place over the last year in terms of the uprisings, I think it, it will be important for them to be able to situate what they have witnessed, you know, in terms of black women's leadership, or, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, the leaders of black lives matter, or whether we're talking, whether we're talking about someone like uh, a Abrams, you know, whether we're talking about Kamala Harris, I think that it will be important for readers to understand that these women come out of a particular context and what the work that they're doing today builds upon a decade of remarkable activism, certainly uh, lots of struggles, lots of difficulties, but they build, they're build, they building upon a rich tradition of Black women's leadership that I think is inspirational for all of us. It gives us uh, hope uh, certainly to think about how individuals who have been excluded from the formal halls of power for so long have managed to come up with creative ways, um, innovative ways to assert their their power, their authority. And I think that is a story that extends uh, to every single one, that everyone can find inspiration in regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless of their race. And so I, I certainly want this book to be an inspiration for all.
0: So you are a professor, um, you are used to writing for an academic audience, but you do often write for the mainstream press. And I'm curious about your writing style when it comes to one form or the other. Uh, What are some of the challenges of kind of maybe toggling between the two? Or what do you enjoy about uh, having just different opportunities to write for different audiences?
1: It is difficult to write for different audiences. And part of that is constantly reminding myself uh, to to be to be as clear as possible. I think that's the difficulty when um, someone spends a lot of time writing for academic audiences. It's easy to use a lot of jargon. It's easy to be wordy. And I still struggle with with these things uh, often. but um, the beauty of writing for general audiences is trying to come up with effective ways to communicate, trying to uh, convey an idea. Uh, in, in a way that's powerful, in a way that resonates with the reader, in a way that doesn't confuse, but actually reveals. And so what is great about it is that the more that I write for non-academic audiences, it, it has helped my academic writing too, because it means that I tend to, to write uh, in a manner uh, that is accessible to all. And I think academics appreciate that as well as anyone else. Uh, so I it certainly has been a challenge over the years, but I have enjoyed it and I've learned a lot in the process and I do believe that I've become a better writer because uh, of the opportunity to write for people outside of my field uh, and people who may not typically read academic works.
0: So as you embark on your fellowship this year, where do you hope to be with your project a year from now?
1: I'm very ambitious, so I'm hoping that I will finish most of the book by the end of the fellowship year and I've collected a lot of material and I've been doing lots of outlining and just thinking through every chapter. And and right now, I just want to to sit down and and write it through as much as possible. So I would hope that by the end of fellowship, I have a significant um, percentage of the book written uh, so that I can see the finish line uh, coming forth. So that's that's the hope.
0: Great. Well, it's a very ambitious goal. And for you, I'm sure it's doable. We're really thrilled to support you this year and to see your project take shape. Thank you for your time today, Keisha.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit newamerica.org fellows to access my other interviews with the class of 2022.